Welcome to the first ever episode of the Med Mentor Podcast, episode zero, where I am introducing myself to you, introducing the podcast, introducing the Med Mentor platform, all of that good stuff. So my name is Justin Oliveira. I'm a first year medical student. I have joined with me today my longtime mentor and college advisor, Christopher Holloman. Chris, you want to say something? Nice to be with you tonight, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very, it is very impromptu. I was putting this episode together and I decided, you know what? I think it'd be a very good idea to have Chris come on and kind of speak to the things that I'm going to speak to. And you can fact check me if I say anything about my time at NYU that was wrong. So getting into the background, the, the way that this episode is going to go, I'm going to talk a little bit about some background stuff. So my upbringing, my experience at undergrad and kind of my interest in medicine, then move into a discussion of the Med Mentor platform, kind of where the idea came from and some of the work that went into the branding and kind of conceptualizing of it. Okay. And then and talking about the podcast. So why am I doing it? What are we doing? How are we going to do it? And kind of the timeline and what I would like from all you that are listening. Uh, so kind of starting talking about growing up. Um, so I grew up in Jersey. Um, both of my parents have advanced degrees, so I feel like that is definitely something uh, of an anomaly in the Black community, having two parents that have advanced degrees. And I think from an early age, uh, education was, was pushed really heavy by my parents, from my brother and I, um, the importance of education for yourself and also for, for lifting up your community. Um, so my mom is a transitional coordinator. She's essentially uh, advisor for children with behavioral issues and learning disabilities in a public school system in Jersey. And my pops is absolutely a physician. Um, so he is a urogynecologist. He did his, his uh, residency in ob and did a fellowship in urogynecology. So that was kind of really my first exposure to medicine. Um, from an early age, I kind of, I, I was, it was presented to me that medicine was possible and it was doable as a black man. Um, so I had my dad to show that to me early on. My parents got divorced when I was eight. Um, so my dad moved out. I lived with my mom. My brother and I lived with my mom for most of my childhood. Um, my mom, uh, that, that presented an interesting dynamic because my mom made significantly less money than my dad. Um, I would say living with my mom, we were, we, we kind of fluctuated between, uh, I would say the upper end of lower income and then the lower end of middle class income. Um, and so early on that presented a dynamic where like, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to make life easier for my mom. Um, when, I, when I got time to apply to college, I was thinking a lot about scholarships and I did basically how to, how to make her burden as small as possible. Cause I think that throughout my life and throughout my brother's and I's upbringing, um, she kind of sacrificed a lot to make sure that we had access to, you know, quote unquote, good schools, schools where school systems where they had kind of the taxable income to, you know, give resources that would set us up for, for doing well in standardized tests and stuff like that. So definitely very appreciative to my mom for that. Um, and yeah, so then I got to undergrad and that's kind of where Chris comes in. <laughs> Chris, how long have you known you? Let's see, I've known you since fall 2016. So what's that? Um, Five years? That's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time. So, and then you officially became my advisor during my second semester of sophomore year. 
Yep, yep. Spring yep. 2018, Robin came back and made a rival. So I went to NYU. Mm -hmm. That happened. <laughs> uh, would I do that again? Probably not, but we can talk about that at another time. I came into NYU during neuroscience. Um, I didn't really have a reason why I was doing neuroscience other than I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Uh, at that time, prior to kind of the, the political fool that he made of himself, I, was re I really looked up to Ben Carson. Um, I think from, from talking to my friends, almost every single black mom has their kids read or watch the Ben Carson movie or read the book. <laughs> so, so, I'm not even a doctor. <laughs> so that was something that my mom did. She she made us read the book and watch the movie. So I was like that 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 really spoke to me. So I was like, I'm gonna do neuroscience at NYU so I can be a neurosurgeon like Ben Carson. I got to NYU and realized that maybe neuroscience was not for me. <laughs> do you wanna do you wanna talk a little bit about what neuroscience at NYU looked like coming in? Um, oh, sure. Um, so I guess when you started your first year, neuroscience was honors only major. So it was a very small major. I don't know, probably like 30, 40 students a year. I don't know. Very small um, honors program. Um, they've since changed it to uh, a general major. So it's not no longer honors only. Uh, but effectively, in order to major in neuroscience, you have to get a B minus or better in the intro class. Mm -hmm. Typically would be sophomore fall. Um, and if you did not, you couldn't retake it. There was no, you know, like second chances. Either you got it and you were a neuro major or you didn't get it and you were majoring in something else. Um, so there is definitely that, uh, you know, heightened intensity to major in neuroscience. Yeah. So I, I definitely did not get a, a B minus. <laughs> and that was after after doing well in all the, um, all bio the intro, yeah, intro bio, intro chem, calc, did well in all those classes, took intro to neuroscience with a, a somewhat upper level bioelective that fall and it just did not go well. So at that point, <laughs> I kind of pivoted away from neuroscience, was lost for a little bit, wasn't sure what I was gonna do, but I ended up switching to global public health and biology. Um, and I think that that really kind of, studying public health really gave me an understanding of a lot of the things that I had seen in my family and in the, the general Black community growing up um, that I didn't have a, a language to understand. I didn't have a vocabulary for. So like understanding health disparities, what they are and how kind of history and structural influences kind of came together to impact the health of underrepresented, underserved and marginalized communities that we see today. Um, anything to add, Chris? No, I think okay. no. Okay. And then I think like the last really important thing that my time at NYU did for me was kind of allow me to find my voice as a leader um, and get involved in the community, both at NYU and just in Black communities in Manhattan, like the Lower East Side and in Harlem, and, and really get involved in advocacy work. Um, I think that it really informed my desire to go into medicine to address these things that we saw in the community. Um, before coming to undergrad, I kind of just had an idea of going into medicine because that is what had been presented to me. And it was kind of just what I was going to do. I didn't really have a, a deeper, more meaningful reason other than that. Um, but I think that understanding health disparities and seeing in real time how these kind of factors interacted with the health of everyday people, I think was really profound to me and kind of 
determined what I wanted to do. Would you say that's accurate? I think that point, I think that point is just, I feel like that's a lesson for anyone who wants to be a doctor is thinking about what you want to major in, why you're majoring in that, um, because you can argue major in anything going to med school. So I think it's more about, you know, what do you want to study during your four years to get you to that, um, that end goal? Sure. No, I definitely agree with that. I think that I, I was talking to someone earlier today um, during a mentoring session and it, like really driving home, <laughs> you don't have to major in any particular major to go to medical school. So really, really study what's important to you and, and take time to find something meaningful in college because you're going to you're going <laughs> to you're going to get a lot of science regardless. For sure. Yeah, science is always going to be there. So unless yeah. like science is your, you know, 100 percent passion and your only interest, if you got other interests, I'd say, you know, you know, maybe consider majoring those things yeah. and then take the science classes um, as required. And then um, I guess some of the interests that I have in medicine, I think it would be important to kind of reflect the lens that, that I bring to this. So surgery is super interesting to me. Um, I'm keeping all my options open specialty-wise, but I'm definitely interested in surgery. Um, community work, community-based outreach, and addressing health disparities is also very important to me. And um, we're going to get into the podcast, what, what the plan for the podcast is a little bit later, but I want to highlight that a lot of the people that I bring on the show are involved in community work in one way or another making a positive impact on the community and, and just doing different work in, in that kind of uh, realm. So now switching gears a little bit, talking about the Med Mentor platform and kind of where the idea came from. And the first note that I have on this is, I feel like at NYU, and this is a big part of the reason that I have Chris on the call, is being at NYU, you got to see firsthand this kind of leaky pipeline in medicine. Um, you want to talk about what that is and kind of how it kind of plays out at NYU, Chris? Um, I think it's, I don't even think it's a, like specific NYU. I think it's yeah. probably most large schools by default. You have students of color, um, you know, coming from all across the country um, from different educational backgrounds. Um, they get into a space, um, particularly so many students, you know, are, they're coming in thinking, oh, pre-med, um, whether that's because society says it's relevant um, family pressure to be a doctor or to do something that's safe and, you know, that will provide you with, you know, you know, long-term stability. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get to school and I feel like oftentimes that is a challenge from the, any advising standpoint, um, or standpoint, uh, you have so many advisees. Um, and so it's very easy to just go on a script and say, oh, you know, you have these test scores, whether that's you know, SAT, ACT, um, AP, IV, whatever the case may be. Um, so therefore you should take these science and or math classes if you're thinking about pre-health, um, specifically pre-med. Uh, but it takes more time and effort to talk to that individual student to see where they, they are, um, you know, what type of high school they went to, um, what is their you know, reason for studying um, the sciences, uh, what they want for their college career in terms of like Justin earlier, you mentioned, you know, student activity, student involvement. Um, are they are they looking to just be, you know, that person who studies? Are they looking to be involved in different ways on campus? Because uh, that, that's time. Um, and they may not um, be aware of the time commitment that the science curriculum has usually typically when I, you know, when I advise my students, I'm always letting them know, you know, 
being a pre-health student, a pre-med student is a, is a job. Um, you're making, you're choosing to make a sacrifice to have your four years of college go a certain way in terms of your time, your ability to hang out, socialize, do other activities, and, and that's a choice. Um, right. Some students, for sure, are more than capable um, in terms of just you know their their natural ability or their previous educational um, backgrounds. You know, you know, take multiple sciences at the same time, um, go straight into calculus. Um, other students may not, um, and, and that's not to say that they're not, they shouldn't be a doctor, or they're not capable of, of, of excelling. It's more so just recognizing that people are, are different, everyone's different, everyone comes from different backgrounds. And so just preparing and thinking and having that conversation is important. Uh, right. So they can hopefully help the student um, make the decision of like how they want to navigate the pre-health curriculum in order to get into med school. I think the challenge, like you said, in terms of the leaky pipeline often definitely with like just large schools. Um, um, having that one-on-one -on -one conversation with the person, um, advising to student, advising to student uh, may not be feasible in the same way. And so therefore um, the student is making assumptions or they're even comparing themselves to others and saying, oh, you know, my friends are taking biology, calculus, chemistry, et cetera, et cetera, all at the same time, so I'm gonna do it. Um, yeah. Some people can do that. Some people, they should maybe just take chemistry by itself or maybe just take calculus and um, everyone's different and being willing to have that conversation without passing judgment or saying, you know, you're not intelligent or not, you're not capable um, is really important um, so that you don't, you know, discourage a student, but that you also are realistic on, okay, your journey is really not too relevant. At the end of the day, your goal is to become a doctor. So no matter where you are right now, at least my role as advisors always say, okay, my goal is to get you to med school um, yeah. or to graduate from undergrad, uh, but definitely to get you into med school. So whatever, however we need to sequence that, we can talk about that. And, but it's, it's very easy to feel the pressure of what maybe your peers right. are doing or what you've been told. Um, um, and so, it's, it, um, and that definitely has an impact on how many students, you know, come in as pre-med and how many actually right. go on to matriculate right. into med school. And I think that like, I think that part of it is that there's a lot of factors that I don't, I, I definitely agree that 100% it's not, it's not all institutional. There's a lot of factors that play into why students of color that start out pre-med don't graduate pre-med, don't matriculate into medical school. But I, I think a large part of it goes into what you kind of mentioned, especially when you're at large institutions and they tend to be predominantly white, when you're the only person of color in a lecture hall that has a hundred people in it, you know, that can be an isolating experience. I think that you, you also, I'll speak from my own experience, like that for a large amount of college, even having a, a father that was a physician, I felt kind of lost. I felt like I was just kind of like out there in the sea, just kind of floating along and not really having direction and just kind of doing things because I thought it was what I needed to be doing instead of someone actually telling me, no, this is what you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you feel like that's kind of common at large institutions? Definitely, I definitely think so. I think there's, even from the advising standpoint, I have a script of like, oh, when I get a pre-health student, a pre-med student, what am I, how do, how do I tell them what classes to take? Like there's, there's every, I'm sure every school has some sort of predetermined script. Uh, mm -hmm. But then uh, that's, you know, if we, if I have a hundred pre-med students, it's not that's one script is not going to work for all of them um and it's not going to you know be meaningful for all of them so i definitely think it's important to you know 
to be as individualistic as you can and specific to that intentional person, um, that specific person, um, and then therefore be intentional with, you know, advising them on like, okay, what's, what's the route that, that would be best or most advisable for them. And also I think uh, to your point about navigating it over long-term, a lot of times students see like a script of like, oh, take these classes or these, these are the pre-health pre-med requirements. Uh, but they may not know, you know, when do I need to have this done by in order to apply to med school? Right. Um, uh, what is the best way? Should I take physics or go to, should I wait for that? Should I double up? Should I triple up? Um, is that feasible for me? Um, do I have the time for that? Uh, you know, really sitting down, having that conversation and then continuously updating it when necessary. Um, you know, I think of one of my students, you know, this year, you know, you know, took bio and chem first year. Um, could have chosen to take orgo and physics second year, chose to just take orgo. Um, like, I'm, you know, I'm away for physics because um, you got to know yourself. Um, but so many students, they just don't know. No one has ever told them whether or not that's a mentor, whether or not they know yeah. practicing physicians, whether it's their advisor really sitting down and having that conversation and saying, you know, whoever the person is that they're going to, right. you know, I, can we talk? Like, Right. <laughs> what is the actual process for getting into med school? Because students don't actually know that. <laughs> I, I am incredibly glad that you brought that up because I think that's a very nice segue into the next point that I wanted to bring up. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of underrepresented students don't have mentors that look like them in medicine. And because of that, they don't have people to tell them, okay, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And I think that that was a major driving force in, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of where I wanted to go with this platform and with this podcast was connecting people, at least by example, at first, yeah. showing them that there are people that look like them from these backgrounds and they can, they can tell you from their experience, okay, do this, don't do that. Cause like, I mean, I'm, we, we talk all the time about the, like, there's some people that just like they're lost because they don't, they don't have any one to give them direction and, even at their institution, like they're just kind of going with the flow of things, not having anyone to guide them. Yep, and I think, you know, and, and that, that is, I mean, that's a human thing as well. So, you know, you come to college, uh, you get your, you know, academic advisor or your, your major advisor, um, depending on how big their caseload is, will also determine how much time they have to devote to you specifically as an individual. Um, and then a lot of students, you know, especially students of color, first gen, or even if you're not first gen, you may not have a doctor in your family. You've never met a doctor um, of color, um, or you never had a doctor of color. Um, so you never have been in the position to say, oh, let me talk to this person who can provide me with help. Um, and so a lot of students are particularly students of color are just used to doing things on their own, um, just society, socially. Um, so then they get to this institution and even on their end, they may not ask or know the questions to ask um, in terms of uh, how to actually navigate the pre-med requirements or um, get into medical school. And so then you're right, a lot of them then just sort of go through it on their own, struggling with trial and error um, as an individual when it would be definitely more advantageous if they had mentors, advisor, or even, you know, were more intentional with talking to their, um, their, their, their actual advisors um, to map it out um, consistently. Right. No, I definitely agree with that. I think that those are things that 
I think everybody, <laughs> but, and the weird thing is like, I get to medical school and I talk to physicians of color and I talk to other medical students of color and everybody kind of has the same experience. And I'm like, why is that? <laughs> why is that? What are, what are the, the structural factors and the societal factors that are kind of driving that? Um, I want to talk about kind of the, the mission statement in the podcast cover, but before we do that, I want to talk really briefly about some kind of podcasts and media that inspired me and in kind of thinking about this podcast. Um, the first one, Black Men and White Coats, definitely want to shout out that podcast it's run by Dr. Dale. I think it's a really phenomenal podcast that exposes specifically students of color to the experiences of physicians and medical students of color. Do you, have you listened to any of that? Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely listen to follow. I follow them on social media and um, have gone to quite a few of their conversations. Um, definitely the past couple years. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's phenomenal. And I think that as a as a organization, they th they do really good work in the community. I was actually just on a luncheon this morning. It was like a mentoring call, and there were like a hundred people on the call just talking about like giving students opportunity to ask medical students and. Um, medical students and physicians, just questions. So really important work in the community definitely inspired me a lot. I wanted to take some elements of that and kind of focus more on the mentorship aspect specifically and talking to physicians about their, their story, but with a focus on mentoring and how mentorship played a role in their career. Um, another podcast that really inspired me was the Undifferentiated Medical Student. Um, that's run by Ian Drummond. I haven't, I don't know, when he started the podcast, he was a I think a third or fourth year medical student. So I'm not sure if he's a practicing physician now, but that was a, a podcast where he kind of interviewed different medical specialists, um, talked to them about their career, their specialty, why they enjoyed it um, and kind of what advice they offered. And I definitely incorporated some elements of that show and just talking to people about their specialty and stuff like that. So those were two things that kind of inspired me when I was thinking about kind of conceptualizing this podcast. Um, and so now I want to talk a little bit about the kind of med mentor brand and where that came from. Um, can you see what I'm pulling up now? You okay. can see. All right, so so the mission statement that, first of all, shout out my brother, Eric, bro. Um, mm -hmm. Eric Dornerville, my man from first day of NYU, because I saw him at the AAP Mixer, yeah, yeah, yeah. So very first day at NYU, um, he was my freshman mentor, and then we kind of kept in touch. He was class of 2017, 17, yeah. And then we, we kept in touch to this day. He does a lot of graphic design work, so I hit him up about designing branding for the show um, and, and kind of what I wanted it to look like and talking through. And that, that whole process was super dope because he helped me kind of arrive at what I wanted the mission of this to be, where I wanted to take it over time, and then count how, how I wanted to brand it. Um, so the mission statement that I arrived at was the mission of this podcast and the Med Mentor platform is to amplify the voices of outstanding physicians of color, giving high school, undergraduate, and junior medical students insight on navigating medicine as people of color without feeling the need to compromise their cultural identities. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? Cultural identities. One more time. I'm just saying the, the last part without feeling the need to compromise their cultural identities is an interesting addition to that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's really important because I think even when you kind of have, like even when you have um, 
people to show you. Um, there might be a pressure to kind of conform to things that aren't natural to you. And I think that a lot of people of color can speak to that. Like, I don't know, like even you being in law school and, and having that whole experience being a, a lawyer, did you ever feel like, you know, you had to compromise your identity or maybe make yourself small in a certain way to kind of fit in? I personally, generally speaking, have never felt that way. Um, um, I can honestly say that. Um, I do recognize, I think, with any of these industries, um, you know, there are certain aspects of just diversity where you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, is this, can I be my authentic self? Can I speak? If I say something, you know, the wrong way, will, will it be, you know, a negative against me if I wear the wrong thing, if my hair is a certain way? If, um, I know literally last week we had a pre-health panel um, and one of, I would definitely say for undergrads and one of the most interesting questions that I, that was asked by one of the current students was, you know, did anyone have any issues with their tattoos? Um, and I, I, I was like, that's an interesting question um, for, you know, first year sophomore to ask um, um, who were, you know, interested in going into a pre-health oriented field um, and just thinking of, you know, how certain aspects of, you know, maybe, you know, piercings or earrings or any other body art um, can definitely uh, make some people feel conscious um, 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 or hyper aware of maybe that difference um, and wondering if that's appropriate for the field that they're trying to enter. Um, so I definitely think it's something that uh, is a, a question. I, I feel like because I went to a predominantly black school for undergrad and law school, um, there was this constant show of a little of realism on, on the one hand, but also cultural pride and, and being yourself. Um, right. And I, I feel that that the, the, the latter part of just the cultural pride of being yourself and allowing and accepting yourself, putting yourself in spaces where there is difference and still being able to, you know, be you. Um, I, I've taken that with me um, ever since. Right. And but I, I, recognize, I, I recognize that everyone doesn't have that experience for sure. Right. No, I think that I think that that is a super important lesson to learn. And I think that it wasn't really until kind of junior year, not even junior year. When, when did you put me in touch with Dr. Max? that was probably senior year senior year yeah so so yeah so i think it was it was going to to morehouse for that semester doing the exchange program talking to dr max um who's actually featured on a, on a later episode so y'all will get the opportunity to hear from him later but he said something to me that stuck out and was really profound he said that when you're applying to a school or going to work at a hospital or any institution it doesn't have to be medicine if they can't celebrate your blackness, then they don't deserve your excellence. And that really stuck out to me, kind of the idea that any institution that you want to be at, either they're going to take you as you are, or they don't deserve you. Um, and I, I feel like that's something that I really want to impart to people that are listening to this podcast as we go on through different episodes, celebrating people that are authentically themselves, and seeing that you don't have to come in a certain mold, you don't have to look a certain way, talk a certain way, think a certain way to, to be a successful at anything, but especially being successful in medicine. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that 100%. And now I'm really excited to talk about the podcast cover. Can you see it on your screen, Chris? Oh, I can see it. No, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited. Huh? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Eric, Eric really did his thing. Um, for those of y'all that are listening in on the podcast, um, the album, not the album cover, the podcast cover was also designed by Eric. 
Um, I'm really happy with the way that it came out. I think that, well, Chris, tell me what your thoughts are, and then I'll tell you what I kind of wanted to get out of it. I mean, I, I, I think just looking at it visually, there's, especially as a man of color, as a black man, there's a lot of negative connotations around just being. Um, so the fact that even on the cover, there is a man with a mustache, a full beard, um, locks, potentially even, you know, either beads or rubber band or twist ties on the end of, of his locks. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that question of, you know, is that professionally acceptable? Um, I, would, I would add the same thing with like tattoos or, you know, brands. Um, that you know, I, I, a lot of my black male friends have, um, right. and 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 wondering, you know, is that acceptable in certain workplaces? But to to have that image put there front and center could be powerful to remind people that it's okay to be your authentic self, whatever that may mean. Right. And for people that are listening with no video and just the audio, um, that <laughs> that's me on the cover. That's that's that is my likeness on the cover. <laughs> I don't currently have a full beard. I had to shave it for. N95 fit testing, but normally I have a full beard. I do have locks. I do have earrings. I am a black man. So it was important for me to kind of incorporate that into the, the visual aspect of the podcast to really show people you can, you can bring whatever you bring to the table. Bring I didn't even, even repeat the, uh, the earrings at first. The earrings? You got to have the studs. I will always, I mean, for better for words, I will always remember one of my mentees. He's at, he was, you know, top 10 in his law school class, you know, went to, you know, work for a top 10 law firm here in the city. And I remember when he rolled in there with his grill. And I remember just being like, you can't do this. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was like, I've had this grill. I will wear this grill. This is what I do. Uh, and he owned it, and, and, and you know, I, I'll just never forget, you know, that that level of confidence and assuredness in yourself, um, and, right. you know, allowing right. other people to see who you are authentically is, you know, right. beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I did not wear grills at the white coat ceremony, but I will have my grills in at commencement. You can mark my words. Part of it was we, we had to wear masks during uh, the white coat ceremony, so nobody would have gotten to see it anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think that what you said is, is really powerful. Um, I think it's important for people to hear and to kind of have reiterated. I think that as mentors, we can do, we play a big role in empowering people that are coming up and kind of showing them that, you know, you are worthy. No matter what you bring to the table, you are worthy. So that was important for me. Um, also in kind of the, the conception of this, this project, this kind of labor of love, it was important for me to bring in other people of color and kind of, I think that kind of speaks to like the whole essence of this is putting on people of color. Um, so, you know, Eric is, he, he has his small business doing design. I also got the, the intro track that you heard at the beginning of this episode, shout out my brother DJ 20 for doing that. So just like putting on other people, I think that's, that's really important for me also. Um, so yeah, so now kind of talking in the last little portion of this, this episode, I know I said it'd be short, but we just kind of started talking it, (laughs) but, um, it's been a good conversation so far. I like where this is going. Um, so getting to the podcast and kind of talking about the why, um, the biggest, the biggest note I have under why is representation. Um, if you look at kind of the double AMC, demographic statistics the most recent ones that they put out um this is talking about the physician workforce so six percent identifies hispanic five percent as black or african-american and 0.3 percent as native american 
and then you contrast that. So that's the active physician workforce in 2019. And then when you compare that to the United States demographics in the general population, 18.5% are Hispanic, 13.4% are Black or African American, and 1.3% are Native American. So when you look at those numbers, you know, you see two to three times it's greater. Absurd. Absurd. They're absurd. A, a third. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you're seeing two to three times greater representation in the general population than you are in the people that make up the physician workforce. So, you know, what do you kind of think of that? Um, I think, I mean, like I said, I went to an HBCU for undergrad. So I, 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 I feel like there are certain aspects of just my, my life where I see, I guess, this issue from a multitude of, of, of sides. So for example, I think of, you know, my friends from undergrad, you know, I'm an attorney, but honestly, for the most part, all my friends from undergrad are doctors, either whether they're pharmacists, dentists, uh, medical doctors, uh, like P biology PhDs. That right. is my friend group who I talk to every day, predominantly uh, black women. My roommate in undergrad and before law school was a black man who is now a medical doctor. Uh, so to me, I think, I think being at an HBCU, I don't even know if I recognize these statistics. Of course, even at Howard, um, you know, you have the oh the students who come to med school and, or who are pre med who you know switch. But I, I at least in my circle, I felt like I saw so many of my peers and classmates and those around me. Not even just my year, but uh, previous years, alumni, students after me. You know, going to med school. Like to me, I didn't even realize that it was um, like the statistics were so dire. Um, in terms of actual matriculation from undergrad, you know, pre-health, biology, chemistry majors to actually going into medical school. Um, I think, you know, now, you know, having more, having, you know, after I, after I graduated from law school, I got my master's in education. So studying education more broadly across the U.S. and seeing just, you know, how a lot of students just nationally, you know, may come in starting pre-health, pre-med but don't finish, particularly students of color, um, for a lot of hosts of different reasons, like I said earlier, in terms of whether or not, you know, they, they truly wanted to be doctors, whether it was societal pressure, family pressure, um, but I would narrow it in specifically to those students who I would assume actually truly want to be doctors. And right. I think for those students, in many ways, there, there, there are quite a few systemic barriers to, um, to completing, um, whether it's, you know, like you mentioned, you know, being the only student of color in your class, feeling imposter syndrome, feeling that, you know, um, your classmates are smarter than you, or the pressure of, oh, if, if you know, if you don't pass one test, you shouldn't be a doctor, um, right. you should give up. Um, right. Those, those, whether those fears are expressed from others, or whether or not they're just, you know, in your mind, whatever the case may be, they become a reality in so many students, the majority of students, in many ways end up, you know, dropping pre-med, changing their major um, and, you know, doing something else. So I think it's really important for, you know, institutions of higher learning for, to your point of mentors, current practicing <laughs> physicians to come back, reach back, have these conversations with, you know, these first years sophomores who are really trying to figure out, you know, is this the path for me um, and how do I complete it? I think it's, 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 it's invaluable to have someone to specifically say, you know, you can do this. I know for me as an advisor, I talk to some of my students all the time who are, you know, who's, you know, come on to a meeting, Zoom, you know, crying, feeling that, oh, I can't do this. Like, this is too much. Um, and so then, 
I definitely feel like it's on my job as their advisor to say, why do you feel that way? My job is to get you in. If you want to be a doctor, my job is to get you to med school. (laughs) That is my my job, or at least to get you to the application process so you can get into med school. Uh, And I think it's just really important for, you know, a lot of different aspects of the industry, whether or not that's advisors, colleges and universities at large, um, practicing professors, uh, practicing physicians to, you know, work together um, upperclassmen students you know seniors juniors can really have a huge impact on freshmen and sophomores first years and sophomores sure. uh, to make sure that you know people aren't being left behind specifically those who outside of various societal pressures would become doctors and great doctors and, and i and think that part part of the reason i feel so passionately about driving up these numbers and getting more representation in medicine is because like it it's scary enough just seeing the numbers, but then understanding how these correlate to clinical outcomes is it's not a it's not a coincidence that, you know, there are lower numbers of representation in these groups and then patients that represent these groups have worse outcomes. That's not a coincidence. Um, and we see that play out, you know, non-white Hispanics, African Americans, and Native Americans all have some th- those are ethnicities with some of the highest rates of chronic diseases, some of the worst hospital outcomes, you know, in, in our country. So I, I think that it, it's, it's, the numbers are scary, but what's even scary is what we see in the clinic. And I think that driving up these numbers and getting better representation is, is a good first step towards addressing these things. You know, there's, there's systems levels, things that we will not change. There's history that will never change. But I think that what we can do now is, is try and get better representation in some of the things that you talked about just now. Um, I think another another reason that I wanted to start the podcast was kind of highlight the examples of people that come from very diverse backgrounds um, and have gone on to have very diverse careers in medicine. I think that showing that there are lots of different routes to get to the same destination and also that destination leads to a million other different destinations was, was helpful. Have you seen that in any of your friends? Like, did they kind of take different routes to get to the same place or kind of have different experiences in getting to medical school and then after medical school becoming practicing physicians? Yeah, I definitely, uh, <laughs> um, I, um, I think, laugh. <laughs> especially on the outside looking at, you know, my, my friends, know, they, they'll know, yeah. I, I, I will put them on the spot. Um, yeah. I, I, I've seen very diverse stories. I've seen students who, you know, you know, didn't pass their boards the first time or didn't have the MCAT score that they wanted the first time. Um, retake it and pass. Um, I have students who are, or I shouldn't even say students, I have friends. I should have, I have friends who, you know, are, as far as I'm concerned, just brilliant. And they work their behinds off, um, regardless of the adversity to, you know, go undergrad four years, straight through to med school, straight through to dental school, um, um, straight to biology PhDs, um, which is how I know it's possible. Cause I'm like, oh, I've seen it. I've seen students do this. Um, my friends have done this. Um, um, but even I feel like more broadly, I've had, you know, I have friends who've, you know, done the two year gap year, the three year gap year, trying to figure out maybe go and get a master's in between or just trying to do research or something else just to f- figure out, you know, that next step, but eventually going back, which is why to me, it's always important, you know, with my students, when I see them, you know, people, uh, uh, can be in different places. I have students right now that I can think of in particular, particularly my, I, I you know, highlight my junior class, um, who 
I recognize are in very different places. Some of them are like, oh, I'm studying for the MCAT now. Others are like, I'm gonna take a gap year. Others may say, you know, um, you know, I'm still trying to figure out which route I'm going to go, but there's still that spark of saying, we're going to do it. Like I would definitely honestly say for at least for me as an advisor, my juniors, I have no doubt there's so many of them in that junior class are actually going to go to graduate school, professional school um, of their choice. Um, and I think to me, that's, that's more important. Um, right. I feel like a lot of times students, you know, get discouraged. And so then there's, there's the question of, will I apply to med school? Will I apply to dental school? Um, mm -hmm. Versus, I'm definitely going to apply. I just need to figure out the step. <laughs> to me, those are very different mindsets to have. For sure. And, and I think that's part of the reason that I kind of picked very diverse experiences from, from the physicians that I have featured on the show so far. And really highlighting what you kind of touched on that, like failures and roadblocks and kind of tribulations along the way, do, they don't in any way determine your success down the road. And I really want to highlight these different experiences to kind of show people that because, you know, even from my own experience, you get to a point where maybe one test didn't go well, maybe a whole class didn't go well. And then you start thinking, hmm, can I do this? Is this for me? Should I think about something else? And the way medicine is structured, it's so hard that once you start thinking about anything else, <laughs> you don't, you're not focusing on what you're doing and you need to be 100% focused on what you're doing. So I really want to highlight that. I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, things happen, life happens. Um, for sure. You know, you may not have passed, you know, or did as well as you wanted in this one class. Um, and if you don't have that support around you, you may say this one class or this one experience is indicative of your whole journey to medical school um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, a different perspective of saying this was a moment you learned from it. You can talk about it in your medical school application about how you overcame that adversity, um, how it impacted you, why it's inspired you to want this even more. Um, and I, it's just a battle. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, if you don't have it yourself, having people around you to make sure that you're remaining confident, remaining steadfast and focused um, and believing yourself that, you know, this one moment won't determine whether or not you become a doctor or not. For sure. I think, yes, yes, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I do want to talk a little bit before we conclude the episode, just kind of what the logistics are going to look like of the podcast. Um, so I didn't really talk about even the what so far. <laughs> so what is the podcast? What is the Med Mentor podcast? So my hope is that I will, at least at the beginning, feature accomplished physicians of color from diverse backgrounds, doing diverse specialties, um, and just highlight their experiences with the hopes of showing you guys, the listeners, you know, this is possible. You know, I have people of different ethnicities, different genders, uh, showing that this is possible. You can do this. We believe in you. Um, that's kind of the what. In terms of the when, I don't really know. But I think that at least at least the timeline in my head right now, I think I plan on putting out podcast episodes every two weeks. Um, we'll see what happens. I am in <laughs> I am in medical school. So hopefully I can stick to that timeline. Um, but I think one of the most important things that I want to see with this project is it being kind of user driven and audience driven. And so feedback from you all listening is going to be super important to that. Um, so the first thing I'll say is that wherever you're listening, um, if you like the podcast, it would be really helpful if you could leave a review on that service. Um, so whether it's the Apple podcast service or whether it's some of the other different sites that I'm posting these on, it'd be really helpful if you could leave feedback to kind of inform what we're doing in better ways that we can do it. Um, if you have any suggestions 
or you have ideas for doctors that I should reach out to, whether, you know, some of your mentors, people that have helped you in your life. Chris has given me a ton of people. A lot of the people that I featured on the earlier episodes, I actually got in touch with because of Chris. Um, Dr. Max, I have. Dr. Johnson, Dr. Pierre Johnson, I have. So if you have doctors in your life that you think should be featured on the show for one reason or another, definitely send them to the Instagram account. Um, That's what I'll be using to check messages for now. And the handle is medmentorx. So M-E-D-M-E-N-T-O-R-X. The X is silent. So it's kind of like the the, the medical symbol for the the prescriptions. Um, I know, I know, uh, very creative. (laughs) Um, But so that's that's the Instagram page and that's the main way that you can get in contact with me um, to talk about things that you would like to see on the show. it's super open at this point in terms of what we're actually gonna do. Um, the first few episodes that I have recorded are all physicians. So they, they finished their residency, they're practicing attendings, they've been attendings for a while. But if you guys wanna hear from medical students or hear from residents, we can definitely get that uh, arranged too. Um, so yeah, it's really gonna be audience driven. That's what my hope is. And uh, stay tuned for what is coming down the pipeline because I'm really excited about starting this. I think to that, I would just add the point of like network is everything. Um, even yesterday, I was talking with my students about, you know, some of our upcoming professional panels. Um, and my big thing is, you know, if you bring these doctors, these dentists, these medical professionals into the space, public health professionals, you know, follow up with them. Um, at least to your point about the connections that I've made with you, most of those people, I, I literally send them a direct message on Instagram. Like I don't know them whatsoever. And I I would encourage students to your point about mentorship, just anyone, um, take the chance, send them an email, connect on LinkedIn, you know, DM on Instagram. Um, You know, for every person who ignores you, there's going to be another person who's going to respond. (laughs) And and that person could really, you know, completely change the direction of your life professionally, academically, personally. I would reckon, I think as an advisor, I see a lot of times, we, you know, we tell our students, oh, you know, reach out, make sure you reach out. Um, and I recognize particularly for students of color, that can be very challenging. Um, the world has been cruel to a lot of students. And so like the idea of reaching out and asking for help is foreign to a lot of our, you know, you know black and brown students for sure. Um, but I try to, you know, remind them that, you know, it, it, it can work. Um, you can, if you put yourself out there, take the chance. Um, there are people out there who want to, you know, help guide you and lead the way um, in many ways for you to be successful. Um, all that sometimes it is literally a direct message on Instagram. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I agree 100%. I mean, you'd be very surprised what a cold call can get you. <laughs> and a lot of the people that I'm featuring on the show, like the reason I'm featuring them is because they've proven themselves as outstanding mentors. They, they make it part of their everyday job to reach out to students that are coming up to inspire them and to guide them. So I think that like, like to Chris's point, reach out. <laughs> so definitely reach out to the people because you know, the worst thing that happens is they say no. And very, very, in my experience, very, very few people, especially people of color that have made it to these spaces and these positions are going to tell you no, you know? Absolutely. So, so yeah. One more time. So many people respond. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, I mean, with that, that's everything that I wanted to talk about in the episode. Chris, do you have anything that you want to say in closing to leave with the people? I can't wait for the next episode. 
<laughs> that's a fact me too um so yeah i mean with that we'll conclude episode zero the very first episode of the men mentor podcast um stay tuned for the next episode probably in another two weeks and until then ooh, this is the first time you're going to hear the the um the the, the tagline <clears throat> until then remember to keep inspiring by example Ooh, that was fire. <laughs>